Well, that didn't go all that well the weekend that was. The Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Flyers swept out this weekend. Actually, the Phillies had a good weekend. I'm back in on the Phillies now. You're Flyers back in. are up. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. News around the Eagles. We're going to get into this, man, because this story is bonkers. An injury, a big injury around the Eagles who can't seem to stay healthy. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there? So the Flyers swept away this weekend. They're down three games to one, and their season comes down really to tomorrow night. If they lose tomorrow, they are done. If they win tomorrow, they live to play another day. Phillies had a good weekend taking two out of three. That game last night was bonkers. Yeah, it's funny. When it was 10 nothing in the second inning, I was just jokingly tweeting out that I smell a comeback. And I got the tweets like, oh, you're so stupid, Broads. And then it started to get going and get going. And here it is. It's 10-7. It's 10-8. What's going on here? It was 11-10 at one point, wasn't it? it? No, it was uh, it was closest, 10-8. It was 10-8. Closest they got was 10-8 in the fourth inning, though. So they allowed 10 in the second inning. No, no, no. Inning. It was 11-10. And then the Braves hit a homer in the top of the ninth to make it 12-10. Yeah, that was later in yeah. the game. Yeah, sadly. So I flipped back over after. I had the game on my laptop. I had the Flyers game on. And I was like, you got to be kidding me here. I've missed all, like, the six-run inning that they had. Did you miss John Middleton signing autographs? I saw that, and I saw some pictures of that uh, out there with the fans. Did you want John Middleton's autograph? I don't think so. Me neither. I don't think I need In that. In what world am I? And all these guys are screaming, sign JT, sign JT, and here's Middleton signing autographs. JT had a tough weekend. Bryce Harper also I a feel like every weekend. time JT came up, someone was on base, and he did not deliver at all. There's I mean, the average is starting that. to dip. Yeah, if I mean, look. that's reality, though. He wasn't as hot as Well, we as talked about was. this on Friday. Like, right. a 25-game stretch, he was scorching hot. But the next 25-game stretch, he could be just average. And then the next, like, that's why a 60-game stretch is really hard to get a great sample size. Meanwhile, the guy he was traded for had a nice weekend. Sixto Sanchez, 100-mile-per-hour fastball. There's 89-mile-per-hour off-speed pitches. Whew. He looks good. He a lot of movement. Yeah, he had, what, eight strikeouts and six that innings kid looks or something like that? Real deal. Holy Yeah. Field. Oh, yeah. He looks good, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and then, so Philly's trade deadline is today. It's coming up at 4 o'clock. Frank Close has a preview of the trade deadline right now on our website, 973ESPN.com. Frank will join us at 315 to preview the trade deadline. And then if anything big happens with the Phillies, Frank will pop back on and let us know what happens, you know, after watching this weekend, everyone's like, they they got to go after a starting pitcher. You can't trust Arietta. The problem is, do you really see that if they make a trade for a starting pitcher, them pulling Arietta out of the rotation? I don't see that happening. No, I don't. I don't see that happening at all. I think that uh, who would be well? Zach Eflin had a great performance. He probably would have had a complete game if it wasn't for the rain delay, so he wouldn't get yanked out. Right, would it so be Spencer Howard? Exactly. Are you gonna like Howard? Hasn't really been like, wow, you got to keep this kid in there. But I'm sure they want to try to give him the the opportunity. So I don't know what they would do. I have said in the past two seasons now, Broads, that I would move Arietta into like the closer role. You know, here's a guy. Just give him, give me your best inning, Jake Arrieta. Give me your one best inning and be the closer. At this stage of his career, he's a little older. His stuff isn't as good over a five or six inning game. Why not think about it? It's it's something that I have not discuss, heard discussed anywhere. I, I feel like I've been the only person to bring this up, but I wouldn't mind seeing Arrieta be the closer. 
I feel they pretty much committed Workman to that role at this point. Yeah, no? it looks like it. Yeah, so not that I feel about yeah, that. Not that I have much faith in. You had to rely on a Reese Hoskins unbelievable defensive play to even win that second game in the in this series. He's so. bad defensively though. Oh, you think? Holy man! You think He's, he made two plays yesterday that were so playable. I know. I know that was in that ten run inning, and then the one, the throw that D.D. Gregorius makes to first base. I mean, a twelve year old first baseman catches that ball off the hop. Now, guess who got the error on that play? D.D. was charged with the error. That's a tough. That's a tough error to take. Yeah, man. I know. That's <laughs> a tough error to take. You should be. He flinched. Reese literally flinched when the ball came to him at that one hop. Yeah, I don't like that error going to him. Not at all. I mean, I get it. The throw's a short hop, but. Come on, you're a Major League Baseball first baseman. you got to make that play. Worst defender, Reese Hoskins, Alec Bohm. It's tough. I mean, Bohm is, plays a position that gets more action. you know. But for Reese Hoskins not to fundamentally be able to do the easiest thing, which is to like catch the ball, he's terrible over there. Well, we got to figure out this DH situation so that we're talking about. Trade deadline today. Clevenger's already been traded. Uh, Padres are going for it. Oh, yeah. Now, let me ask you. You saw what Sixto Sanchez did. Yeah, it was actually seven innings, ten strikeouts oh, in his last Oh, man. Yeah. So here's what I have to ask you then. In a 60-game season, are you taking this season seriously enough that you're willing to, like, go for it? If I'm a team that truly believes that we can the go Phillies. for it. If I'm the Phillies. You're in the playoffs right now. No. You are the second-place team in the East. Do you feel like, yes, go for it? No, I don't. Because I, I it's a 60-game season and there's no fans, you can't really, you know, you can't be a part of it. I honestly feel like they're not that close, though. If, if you're a team that is closer to winning a title than the Phillies are, then I would agree, even if it's a 60-game season, you go for it. But we're talking about a team that's a 500 baseball team. That's what they are. They're a 500 team. That doesn't scream to me, hey, let's go get those extra pieces and go win a World Series. They're just not they're not there yet. There's too many holes in the pitching staff. Yeah, and I don't even know what go for it means. I mean, you're not trading Alec Bohm. You're not trading Spencer Howard. Well, I don't even know what you have left to trade. Mickey Moniak was put in place that people are now speculating he has a, a move possibly happening. Well, I would imagine, yeah, you're right. He was put on the 60-man player pool roster. You have to be on that roster to be able to be traded. That's why he's on that roster. I'm imagining they're going to pick up the phone and ask anybody. But you remember the trade the Phillies made a couple of years ago when they got Mark Appel? He was the number one pick in the draft. He was a pitcher from Stanford. And I think that's Moniac. You want the former number one overall pick in the draft? You, you want him? You can like He's the guy that maybe sweetens the deal to like you get the guy that you really want and you give them the former number one overall pick because it makes the deal seem like they got a little something that they, you know what I mean? Yeah, what about Adam Hazley? What about Adam Hazley? Yeah, I saw some people talk about Hazley. I think it was Bob from Crossing Broad that brought him up. Um, well, you got the Hazley-Quinn thing in the there. Now you got Kingery, who's possibly going to get more innings in the outfield than he is in the infield. I think you would have to think that one of those three guys has to be expendable, right? Yes, you would think so. And, and maybe Adam Hazley has the most interest. Adam Hazley, if Roman Quinn wasn't here, isn't it a no-brainer that he's probably playing there majority sure. of the time? So That's teams, the problem. you got two guys right. that both deserve playing time. And that's why teams will probably look at Hazley and say, hold on, we might have something here. Yeah, I don't like the idea of moving Hazley, though, for this reason. How much more does McCutcheon have left in the tank? And I would like to see Hazley maybe be the guy that goes over and plays left field once McCutcheon's out the door. 
Not only that, what if Roman Quinn gets hurt again? That happens a lot, too. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. Yes, so they, the Phillies definitely have. And then you got the bullpen situation, which, you know, was a major problem. Now it's just a, it's a problem. I wouldn't say it's a major problem, but it's definitely still a problem, no question. So Matt Klintak today, do I go out and get another bat? Do I go out and get a starting pitcher? Do I go out and get another bullpen arm? Do I really want to give up something? He's got a lot of stuff on his plate, and he's only got about less than two hours to figure this all out. Do they need another bat? Is that what we're looking for here, another bench guy? I don't know if they need another bat. Yeah, I would say that the bat priority is is lower on my list, right? I mean, if I'm ranking them, I would say, well, I don't know. Do you go bullpen? or I, I'd probably say bullpen now, only because what I just said. I don't see them taking out Arietta. I don't think that Eflin's so horrible that I need to get rid of him, and I don't really know what they think about Spencer Howard. He has, I haven't seen enough of him to, to say he's ready. I'll say this, Sixto Sanchez looks better. Oh, yeah, he looks so good, so good. And here's the thing, though, with the starting rotation compared to the bullpen. Once you hit the playoffs, if the Phillies make the playoffs, your back-end starters will now be in your bullpen, which helps out the bullpen. You know, like, you're you're going to go Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, one more pitcher, and then those other guys are probably going to be in your bullpen yeah, anyway. Sometimes you'll go to a fourth. Maybe. Yeah, yeah prob- probably. You more usually go through the fourth. Maybe the fifth guy goes to the bullpen. See how it plays but out. I'm based off of these circumstances, maybe you see the Phillies go in that direction because they know they have the the top three guys, and that's about it. So who knows? I yeah. Mean, now the bullpen, like again, it's uh, look Workman. It's not like he's Mariano Rivera back there, but he's got three saves since he's been traded here already. And so I think obviously, all three made me sweat about yeah, exactly three hours in that ninth inning, just I hoping thought, he can get out. I thought Neris pitched well on Saturday. Yeah, two good outings in a row. He after looked his like debacle. he's found, like, they mentioned it on the broadcast. When you're a, a split-finger guy and that's not going, the fastball typically doesn't go too. It seems like he's relocating the fastball, which has helped the splitter. I thought he looked better. And Neris is what he is. He's a good guy. He's not great. Uh, but if you have him in the eighth, Hunter, Morgan, eh, he's been up and down this year. He was good two years ago. I think we're all kind of... Wishing that he was the guy from two years ago. He's just okay. I guess they're hoping for Suarez. The guy Hale didn't impress me yesterday. Hembry was all right. They brought up during the broadcast that Hembry's been pretty good this year, other than the game that he had against the Phillies. That's what kind of whacked his ERA out of uh, out of whack, if you will. So the bullpen, why it's not great. It's uh, if you told me I could get a top end, or uh, I don't want to say top end. You're not getting. There's not an eighth starter on the market. But if I said Lance Lynn, yeah, doesn't really tickle my fancy. Okay, does it tickle yours? Not necessarily. <laughs> I could just tell by the the side, the you know what I mean. It's like hey, well, there's not, not really. that high. And I mean, what about Johnny Cueto? Okay, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's definitely. I think that helps the team, doesn't it? Upgrade the team a big time compared to well, what they Lynn have. Upgrades the team. I just don't think you're excited by Lynn. right. I yeah, you're right. I'm not excited. And maybe Johnny Cueto's just a, a bigger name, a more well-known name that maybe that's why I no, get a no little question. bit more intrigued yeah, Cueto's by Cueto's been a well. guy who's pitched in the, the playoffs. Right. And, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I just feel like there's not that move that just jumps out at you and says, come on, like, that's the one. Because they made a couple of moves. They got Workman and they got Hembry, which a lot of people, it's funny, uh, Jim Bowden wrote an article that, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago about, hey, this is a perfect trade for the Phillies. You know, go out and get Brandon Workman. They went out and did that. They they went out and got what they needed, three bullpen arms. Now, I don't think Hale does all that much for you. He seems like he's more of a, 
a mop-up guy. He's a Vinny V guy. That, oh, you got to pull your starter in the fourth. Let's see if we can scramble a couple innings with this kind of guy. And that's what you got in Hale. And you saw yesterday, it actually did not work whatsoever. Yeah. No, he got hit around pretty good. And that was his first outing with the team. We've been screaming, where is this guy? First pitch he threw got belted. Yeah, that was a really, really tough inning for the Phillies. But the fact that they come back and they score a handful of runs, I, the offense is crazy. Reese is waking up, and I had a little interesting debate with our very own Billy Schwein oh, on yeah? Twitter. Well, we had this conversation one yeah, day. I saw when somehow I got m- pulled into that. Well, I just tagged you because I wanted to get your opinion on it. The whole exit velocity thing. There was a couple weeks ago where Reese Hoskins was awful, awful, awful to start the season, but you started to see some exit velocity coming off of his bat, but he wasn't res- it wasn't resulting in actual hits. But I was being optimistic. I said, well, look, he went from not swinging the bat, walking all the time, and looking at strikes to, at least there's some good exit velocity, which shows me his timing is there. It's not resulting in hits, but it shows me the timing is there, so that means I'm I'm, I'm optimistic because I think he'll yeah. turn the page. And now, here he is raking, doing all this thing. But Billy Schwein, would, he was listening to the show. It was Josh and I. We filled in for you. Exit velocity means nothing. It's stupid. It doesn't have any value. Who cares? And I said, Billy, it's not about like that specific individual play. It's about big picture. Exit velocity shows you the timing is there. And now look at Reese Hoskins. So uh, that's how you have to use exit velocity. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I understand that hitting the baseball harder a lot of times opens up the opportunity for, you know, you hit the ball hard. You're, if, once you start hitting the ball hard, means you're seeing the ball better, you know. Um, now, I can see what he's saying. is It doesn't matter if I get a bloop single, an infield single. They're all base hits, right? It, it, it's No, I think what you're saying is the exit velocity, the consistency in that is showing that he's seeing the ball better, hitting the ball in the nose, and that, yes, I might hit it right at someone, but if I keep hitting the ball hard, good things will happen. Absolutely. And and you're starting to see that with Reese. Reese is looking really good right now. And that swing, that swing is it's beautiful right now. Really, it is. It reminds me of what I saw when he first came into the league. That's how good it looks at this very moment. And it seems like his confidence is back. Uh they're gonna uh you know, they're gonna have uh the lineup tonight, I'm going to see where they end up doing with this lineup because, they, by the way, Gosselin's awful in left field. He's so bad. You didn't like that play? Holy mackerels, he's bad out there. You don't like that one? Remember, remember Reese Hoskins played a left field a couple yeah. of years ago? You're talking about horrible. Yeah, well, I, I, so what I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm interested to see um, what they end up doing, you know, before the deadline today. But, again, I don't see where a bat would help this team out, especially if Hoskins starts hitting the ball a little bit better. They add Boehm. You can kind of say that was a trade deal that you got. It looks like McCutcheon is starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. So, offensively, I, I feel okay with the lineup. I'm not – I don't think, like, Marte's – Sterling Marte's name was mentioned. I don't know where he fits in. It's another outfielder. Yeah, I saw his name as well. I mean, I do – understand why they have a mindset of a bat, but I just don't know why that would be prioritized over Yeah, I think pitching. it's got to be a dual heat with pitcher. You got me a starting pitcher, fine. If you get me a relief pitcher, I'm good with that too. Yep, that's exactly what if they what do they nothing? Need. If they do nothing, but here's the thing. See, I know that they're not that great of a team to make a legit run, so I almost understand why they do nothing, but it it's a bad look, you know? Because it, it's hard to sit well, they still. Could say it's either that they made three sell... trades already. Two trades. Yeah. They got three arms. Okay, I guess they could go with that. But it's hard on deadline day to sit still if you think you're a team that can 
make some noise. So if they believe that they're a team that makes some noise, it's kind of hard to sell your fan base, we're going to do nothing. Well, you're at uh, the 29-game mark, so you're about halfway through your season. Now, other teams have played more than that. The Phillies are about five games or so behind teams. Like, they're at 14 and 15, and the Braves are 19 and 14. So they're about four games in the games played column behind. Now, you got a team like the Cardinals, who's only played 25 games. I mean, because they've missed a whole heck of a lot of games. So they're going off of winning percentage right now. And if you go off winning percentage, that loss last night, um, the Phillies and the Marlins are now tied for second place. But the Marlins have the regular season um, uh, head-to-head against you. So that puts the Marlins in second place. The Phillies in third, if you're getting the first two teams in both in all divisions in, you take the next highest uh, winning percentage, and that would be Colorado and Philadelphia would be the second team in currently. That's incredible. On it- deadline day. So if you're the second, like there's, you know, rumblings out there, like the Detroit Tigers are like in it, you know, they're 500 right now. It's so weird because this season, you know, it's only 60 games if you're kind of hanging around right now. If you were a team playing a 162-game season, Detroit, and you started 16-16, and 16, you'd be doing you know jumping jacks. But you're like, we're not in this thing. We're going to lose 102 games this year. You know what I mean? Like, So this has really changed the outlook for a lot of teams. I don't know. It makes today so interesting. Yeah, you're going to see a lot more buyers than you are. Se- That's the thing. There's only going to be a limited amount of sellers. So all the teams that are involved, even if they're not a true, legit, insane contender, they're in the mix to try and buy some of these pieces as well, but the pieces to buy are so limited because there's only a handful of teams really out on things. Yeah, I would say in the National League, the only team out is Pittsburgh. They are 10-21. and 21. They are the only team. You know, the Washington Nationals, the defending champions, are 12-19. and 19. They are probably the only other team that is teetering on making a decision here on what we do. Every other team, I would think, still thinks they're in the playoff mix. And in the American League, it's really the Red Sox, maybe the Angels. It would be hard for the Angels after signing Rendon and having Mike Trout to go, you know what, This we're just going to start selling. I mean, they're pretty, they're, they're, they're pretty deep out of it, though. They are. They definitely are. But I wonder if they're trying to keep a positive spin on things. Well, that's it. So we got the trade deadline coming up at 4. So Frank will preview it with us. Uh, We'll keep our eye on if anything happens between now and then. Frank will join us at 3.15. He has a preview up on our website, 97.3ESPN.com. I do want to – we're going to have Durso on at the bottom of the hour here to uh, go back. You know, I don't know. I I thought the Flyers played pretty well in the second last night. They had a period of – where they kind of dominated play at the end of the first. They carried that over. Uh, But overall, I think after watching this, and you kind of pointed this out at the beginning, I think the Islanders are just a better team. They are. They are a fantastic team, and they never get enough credit. It's like we talk about the Rays, right, the Tampa Bay Rays. Who's this team right now? Oh, they got 22 wins or so. Like, there's just this team that they don't play sexy baseball. They're not like a big-time market, even though New York is, but the Islanders isn't the Rangers. They're off to the side, you know what I mean? So... The Islanders, they're a great team. They're very structured, and they have a hell of a head coach who won a Stanley Cup. They They they, lost their last seven games before the Pauls. There was a chance that the Islanders would not have been a playoff team had the Pauls not happened. That's very true. Crazy, right? Absolutely, yeah. But you look at this team, and the Flyers are struggling. It looks ugly, and it looks ugly because the Islanders make them play that way. And, And 
there's this narrative out there that oh, typical Flyers. You know how much I heard typical Flyers this weekend. Yeah. Um, did I miss something? How how many years have they made it to the second round of the playoffs with young talent? I mean, it's cra- I'm not giving them a free pass because this series has been frustrating. But I do think it's realistic to look at where they actually are as a franchise. They're going in the right direction. This is underwhelming. You would like guys to score. You can yell at Giroux and all these guys all you want. But this is still a positive season regardless of where the outcome ends. You know what I mean, though? Like, I just feel like, oh, there's so much frustration towards it. I had one guy tell me we should fire Lane Vigneault because he didn't do a good enough job this series. I mean, come on. Yeah. Where are we with that? Yeah, I think the the takes were getting a little too sizzling over uh, these two games here. Like, you know, oh, what are you going to show up tonight? Like, the, the, the Flyers put out a tweet. And people are tweeting back at them. Hey, are you going to show up today? They're like, hey, we're just a Twitter account. Yeah, you can be disappointed with the Flyers the way that they haven't created enough offense and things of that nature. But when you really dial down, right, like we talk about the young players, Travis Sanheim, Philip Myers, Travis Konechny, all these young players. Ivan Provorov's even young. While I get the frustration, I'm not saying that they get a free pass, but it's ascending in the right direction. That's all I'm going to say. But if you want to look at game four, this is the best way to, to kind of – Look at how it went. When you watch a Sixer, let's use six Sixer Celtics as an example, and the, there's runs, right? You got a 12-2 run for the Celtics, then you get a 10-2 run for the Sixers, and they both make each other, they both make runs against each other, and then here comes the fourth quarter with about four minutes to go. One team, realistically the Celtics, make their run and they take the game over. Then you look back and go, that's where the Sixers lost it because they had their runs, they countered the Celtics run. That four-minute stretch in the fourth quarter, that's where they lost it. When you look at the Flyers yesterday, Matt Niskanen, who is one hell of a veteran player, and Ivan Provorov, Provorov had a couple mistakes, and that is where they lost the game. Well, and I've seen uh, Mike Sielski today. See this column? I did not. Uh, a column on Claude Giroux, his lack of production in the playoffs, and his legacy taking a hit. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm out on... I saw a lot of milk cartons with uh, I, his face This on is him. what bothers me. And I'm not saying that he played insanely well this entire playoff series, but Game 2 of this series... Without Claude Giroux, they don't win. You look at Claude Giroux's stat line afterwards, and he had one assist. If you just watch the game, he does so. With they they scored that Couturier scored that tip-in goal yesterday to tie the game one-one. Without Claude Giroux winning a battle on the wall, going up the wall, D to D shot, he doesn't get anything. He doesn't get one point on that play. Without him getting the puck in the corner, going from low to high, them going D to D, there's no goal. So I'm not saying that you know Claude Giroux should not get any criticism, but I do think the criticism well, is here's so overblown. Here's what I will say, and, and and I think most people who are just you know sports fans and they like hockey, but they don't know the game like you do, who played the game. I think when they look at your captain and your star player, they are looking for more production than just the guy who's getting the grinded out like but, but there's, help. But you there's, know what I'm saying? I do, but there's so like, many well, captains real quick in on this that. league. Like, uh, Sealski said, 26 playoff games, he has one goal. There is no getting around the enormity of that number. Its effect on the team and his legacy with the Flyers. It threatens to overshadow his achievements with the club, and he knows it. Okay, I'm not disagreeing with that. I think that that is fair, without well, a doubt. Because well, a lot of times we hear his name mentioned with that. Not not that he's on the level of Ovechkin and Crosby and the younger players who are now kind of you know entering this game, but he's not a goal scorer. And I think people, when they hear his name mentioned, and then he doesn't score those goals like those other guys. Like when your team is really struggling and you need that goal, I understand he's not that guy. And I think that that's part of the problem. He's almost like. 
Andre Iguodala when he went to the Warriors, and people were like, see, those Sixers fans didn't appreciate him. On the Sixers, he was the best player. He can't be the best player. He's okay being the third best player, the fourth best player. I don't know if Claude Giroux can be your best player. But here's where I think the conversation needs to be realized. Like This season, if you watched this season, Claude Giroux wasn't the guy. If he carried you through the entire regular season and then he wasn't in the playoffs, I think it's fair to be like, dude, where are you? You carried this team and now you're not doing it. But he wasn't even that player this year in the regular season. So this is kind of what he was all year. Now you just expect him to to dominate. But that's not what he did all year. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, it's funny because I saw a lot of people going after him yesterday. It he does just, need to produce more. I get it. But I do think it's taken to, like, an extreme as a scapegoat. The whole team the whole team has played poorly, right? Matt Niskanen and Ivan Provorov. Matt Niskanen two, made two brutal mistakes. Yeah, Claude Giroux. Two goals scored with the top pairing out there. That was ugly. That one, a Pajot gets a breakaway. What oh. were you doing in the neutrals? I look like Broads out there. Here I am sitting on the bench seven minutes later. I'm not touching the ice because I made a brutal mistake like that. Sports Pass brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you online. GMS Law. Well, it's three games to one. Is the series over, or was there a shining light in that game last night? Kevin Durso has five. Bottom of the hour, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Sports Bash is brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. It's Matt Black Kia, 62-11, Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township. Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Give me a follow there. Hunter Brody at Broads81. Follow him there. And Kevin Durso, who covers the Flyers, at Kevin underscore Durso. Give him a follow as the Flyers trail the series three games to one. His five takeaways on last night's action. I guess let's start with the decision to go with Brian Elliott. Did you have a problem with the decision, and do you think the decision led to the loss? I mean, I'm not blaming Brian Elliott. I'm just saying, would you have gone with Carter Hart there? I was a little surprised with the decision just because of the magnitude of the game, but otherwise I'm not really surprised by it. You know, I think that Elaine Vigneault took a look at what Carter Hart did in Game 5 of the Montreal series, which was also a back-to-back where he had played both ends, and he wasn't very sharp in that game. So I think that going with a guy who's rested and ready – uh, makes a difference there, and I think that that's why Brian Elliott got the start. And, and yeah, I didn't have a you know he's not to blame for the result. It's unfortunate that he gave up three goals in the game, and it, it you know proved to be the difference. But he was sharp early in the first period. And if you have a problem with the start, or anybody out there does have a problem with the start, you know t- take a look at, back at that first period because that first period he got peppered with shots, especially on that Islanders power play, and essentially kept the Flyers in the game because through two periods they had a shot. And it's just unfortunate that he was on the wrong end of two defensive breakdowns that led to goals for the Islanders and had to take the loss as a result. Yeah, I don't, and again, I'm not blaming Elliott either. I mean, obviously, they're in a spot with the back-to-back. You would not get that in a normal playoff year. But the Islanders also went with their backup goalie, and he played pretty well, man. He made a couple of big stops in the game. How big uh, you know, was Thomas Grice in that game? He was huge, and I find it hard to believe that somehow, I don't know who picks the three stars of the game, but he came out as the third star of the game on the official report last night. I don't know how you pick him as the third star of the game. He's the reason the Islanders won that game, because it seemed like every time he made a big save, especially in the third period, that was when the Islanders had the answer and came back down the other end and scored a big goal. So 
he's the reason they won that game, no question. And that's something that Barry Trotz has relied on all year long for m- most of the season, actually. He would go back and between both of the goaltenders, and there was very few occasions where either one of them got back-to-back starts with days between because he just felt comfortable giving one guy a start and then going to the next guy and continuing to play that platoon back and forth. So they knew they could trust Thomas Grice, especially for the performance he gave them in Game 2 after Semyon Varlamov was pulled in the first period. And he delivered big time in that Game 4 win, no question about it. What are your thoughts on Niskanen and Proverov this series? I know late Niskanen made a couple brutal mistakes, and that definitely costed them. But overall, I mean, I didn't think that they've played strong at all, really, this uh, this entire series. You know, I think Ivan Provrov is trying to carry that pairing a little bit, and that's why he ends up looking poor on some, on some of those counter rushes and transition plays. You know, like the two on one that leads to Brock Nelson's second goal is a good example of it. He's left out to dry there, and he's the guy who has to play the two on one, and he gets caught in between making the decision of playing the puck carrier, trying to play the pass, and gets turned around a couple of times. So he looks really bad in that situation, but. And, yes, he does play that 2-1 poorly, but I really have a problem with Matt Niskanen's decisions there. And not just his decisions, but if you're going to do that and try to be aggressive like that, you, you've got to be sure against this Islanders team. And I don't know that he was on either occasion. He definitely got you know the Pajot goal. He gets caught badly. And then you go and try to do the same thing. If you're going to play and try to pinch and try to keep a puck in the offensive zone, you might want to make sure that there's not five to ten feet between you and the puck when, you know, when your opposition gets to it, when you know, when your the opponent gets to the puck, because they're going to have a quick outlet. That's how they get going in transition, and you're done in, on that play. So they've definitely had a poor series. I think that Provorov was trying to hang on for dear life on a lot of those situations because he was the last man back. It, it's definitely the Matt Niskanen that kind of looks like he's played an awful lot and is now starting to feel the effects of playing big minutes. You know, maybe at this stage of his career, he's playing more than he should. So that's where I think that lies. And there's definitely more to be desired from what we've seen in the regular season from that pairing. Is the lack of goal scoring a credit to the Islanders fully? Like, I think that their structure is obviously very sound defensively. They know what they're doing. Barry Trotz's scheme is phenomenal, but even if there's a great defensive scheme, I, I like using the Bruins as an example. When you look at uh, Pasternak, Bergeron, and those players, Marshawn, they'll find a way to counter that great defense. And I, and I just feel like the Flyers aren't finding ways to really counter the great defense. Yeah, you know, the, the Islanders are just a tough team in that, in that sense where they take away a lot of the space. And I think that the Flyers keep looking for that perfect play. I think that's the way that their mindset is. And it's hard to change that when it's worked for so much of the year. I think they played a lot of teams in a regular season where the space was available and you're able to counter and transition. And I, I saw something that was kind of an interesting theory, that Lampigno's system throughout the year was be aggressive on the puck, go and win those battles, and maybe they're trying to play it safe and prevent the counter rushes, and that's making them less effective on the forecheck where they were so strong in the regular season and looked like a team that could dominate in the playoffs as a result. So if they're trying to play it safe, I mean, obviously for the rest of the series, you've got to throw all caution to the wind because your season's on the line. But I'm a little surprised that they maybe didn't try to do something like that earlier if that's really the case because – you know, I think last night's game was as close to a must-win as you can have without having your back completely to the wall. And they showed signs of that early on and then let the Islanders come back at them in waves again. And realistically, I didn't think their second period or their third period was bad. It was just that they got burned by those opportunistic chances the Islanders get. And the Islanders have, you know, the Islanders kind of have that vibe right now 
of a team that gets into the playoffs, starts to get on a, on a run, and starts to be really feeling at the right time. And I, I think that that's why they're finishing on all their chances, and the Flyers are struggling because they, they sense the magnitude of the series as well and that they need to score all these goals and really be at their best. And that's when frustration starts to set in and you start to grip the stick tighter and you, you feel the frustration of every close chance that doesn't go your way, especially when it feels like every chance that they get goes in the back of the net. Right now, uh, Kevin Durso uh, joining us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Uh, if you just said Flyers are the one seed, they're the sixth seed, um, what do you see as the difference between these two teams? When, when you just put them up next to each other, what's the difference between these teams? I think one of the big differences is that the Islanders have a line that really knows how to control play, and the Flyers have a, lot, have a top line right now that has shown signs of being able to do that in other games that hasn't brought it yet in the series the way that they think they can. And in addition, I think the Islanders have known since the playoffs have started, since they got into a series, you know, since they got into their first round of qualifying series with Florida and then into the series with Washington, this is a team that knows their identity, that has completely bought in. They've got a lot of guys, the Islanders do, who didn't look good in previous stops in their career. Leo Komarov was a forgotten member of Toronto. Jordan Eberle has been bounced around a few times with a high-profile player in Edmonton that was supposed to be this big scoring guy, and it really never panned out the way that they wanted for him. And now they've come in into this system, and they're producing good offensive numbers, but what they're doing better is they're playing the defensive side of the game, and that's, again, it's a sign of buying into your coach's system. It's, you know, Elaine Vigneault is quite possibly getting out coached in this series, and it's not to say that Elaine Vigneault is not a good coach. I think you're going up against an all-timer in Barry Trotz who not only knows how to get a team into that playoff mindset where it's that dirty style that you need to have to shut down teams and win, but he's gotten every player to buy in and he's gotten more than I think you can ask for from some of these guys who have been considered problems on previous stops and now they're vital parts of this team. So that I think that this is just a team, I think from back to the beginning of the series when we talked, it, I didn't really think there was much of a weakness with this Islanders team because they do a lot of the little things the right way and that's how they can hurt you. And I think we're seeing that in this series, how they just even down to that last minute of the game last night where, you know, the Flyers maybe get a sniff of the possibility of a comeback. There's 64 seconds left. You're within a goal. Maybe you can get a push with the empty net again. And for 20 seconds, they just tie it up in the corner and end your chances. That's what they do, and they know how to do that well. And I think that's a lot of that has to do with their coaching and the mentality that Barry Trotz has put into this team. Yeah, that play actually bothered me because how are you getting? You got to get another man in there. I mean, you can't just allow them to eat the puck. You got to throw more guys in. There's only 20 seconds left. But anyway, how much of a difference maker is Barzell? I mean, this guy is so good. The way that he, if he misses an opportunity like that one wraparound, he still finds a way to hit Matt Martin later on. I mean, this guy, he he changes the game. He's really good, and I I think that there's certain guys that I watch around the league that I think for a little while are, especially early in their careers, are guys who are some of the best-kept secrets in the league. Yeah, I felt that way about Miko Rantanen for the Colorado Avalanche. He's a guy who was underrated through most of his early years, though he was a big point producer. That's what I feel about Matthew Barzell. I think he's the, he's the type of guy who is going to eventually be a superstar in this league, especially the longer this playoff run goes on, because you're going to keep hearing his name. He, he, the puck's a magnet to a stick, it feels like. He's just all over the place. And he's got the ability to transform an entire shift by himself. And that's what really is a game changer for the Islanders is that they, 
you know, for as well as they play as a team and as hard checking as they are and as, as good on the four check and physical as they are and how, how tight they play defensively, they do have that player who can go out there and completely dominate a shift by himself. And I don't know if the Flyers have that guy, or at least we haven't seen it in this series. You know, I think people want to see someone like Sean Couturier or Travis Konechny step up and be that guy, and it hasn't been there. And there's Barzil, who just can completely dominate a shift by himself in the offensive zone and set up other guys, uh, like you mentioned, the Matt Martin goal from Game 3. That's a, that's a shift where he's actually out there with a guy who's not even close to being on his line typically, but he makes him look good by getting, you know, getting the better of the Flyers on that play and setting up a teammate who sees limited minutes on the fourth line. He's, he's a really good player that I don't think enough people around that you know, watch hockey know about yet. I think that they're going to very soon. 3-1, series resumes tomorrow right here on 97.3 ESPN. 90% of the time in the NHL, a 3-1 series leader wins the series. Any reason to think that will change? I don't think it's going to change. I think that there is a chance that this series could drag on longer than Tuesday, and I think the reason for that is Carter Hart. Now you're going to put Carter Hart in, and he's got the mentality to, to embrace the situation, to know it's a must-win game, and to be at his best. And that's probably the biggest factor the Flyers have going forward is that they have a goaltender who doesn't let the stage consume him. And, and he just goes ahead and goes business as usual. And that might be the only way they're able to really get back in the season. Maybe if he steals you one game, you know, let's say he steals game five and gets to the game six, maybe something happens in that time that gets some, somebody else clicking on, in the right direction and you start to feel something. But it's going to take a lot. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, I look at game four and I think that that probably outside of the first period of game two was the best all-around game the Flyers probably played. And in saying that, you know, to hear Barry Trotz say it's the worst game the Islanders have played in the playoffs to that point tells you a lot about where they are as a team and how they feel about themselves because – I didn't think the Islanders played that bad. And here's their coach telling you that that's not even close to what they're capable of. And I don't doubt it because they've looked better than that in this series for sure. And it's going to take that kind of effort from your goalie to probably try to keep the series going and maybe build some confidence in the rest of your guys to keep this moving forward. Because if not, then I think the season's going to just come to an end on Tuesday if you don't get that kind of performance from your goaltending and, and have your goaltender, who's pretty much the, the face of your team right now, be the guy who helps keep this season going. I guess uh, we'll leave you with this. A lot of people going after the captain today, fair or unfair. Uh, but, you know, Mike Sealski mentioned that he has one goal in 26 games and that his legacy is kind of taking a hit and that he knows it. I mean, how do you feel Claude Giroux is being looked at uh, through this playoff series? And, and quite frankly, the first round, too. Here, here's the thing I think that is a, as, is a claim to go with what Mike Sealski saying is that, you know, I, I'll take the goal number out of the equation here for a minute. And, yeah, production's a big part of it when you're the captain of a team. But I think that the thing that really is defining Claude Giroux's legacy isn't the fact that he has one goal in his last 26 playoff games or whatever uh, he hasn't been able to do from a production standpoint. This is another opportunity as the captain of this team and in his time playing here. I mean, he was probably in his second year or third year of his career, and the Flyers make the Stanley Cup final in 2010. And as he gets an increased role... This is a team that in 2011 got swept out by the Boston Bruins in the second round. That was where their playoff run ended. In 2012, he's part of a you know, he's, he has a truly game-changing shift in Game Six against 
Pittsburgh that helps them win that series, gets them to the second round. They win game one of that series, and they don't advance beyond that. They lose the next four, and the series is over. And then they hadn't won a first-round series since then up until this year when they beat Montreal. And again, you're looking at the possibility of another second-round exit where you lose 4-1. to one. If his entire or close to his entire captaincy, and maybe a little beyond that, is defined by three different seasons where you – get to the second round, and you've won a combined two playoff games in the second round, that I think is what's helping define that legacy in that direction is that he's part of an era right now where not only did they struggle to make the playoffs sometimes, but when they got there, they barely won in the first round, and then in the second round they won a total of two games. I think that's where that's really being defined because he's the leader of the team. He's the guy wearing the C, and that's what people see. And I think that that's the bigger number for me is that two second-round wins in – nine, ten years' time isn't going to get it done when you're the captain for seven of them. So that's, I think, really what's defining Claudio's legacy. Here's my counter-argument, though. Like, during those times, like last year, what, they had eight goalies, the roster construction, the organization was still going muck and grind while you had the whole league going with younger younger guys in speed. And I'm not making an excuse because I do think he needs to play better, but I do think there needs to be context. Like, during this stretch of the last however long you want to talk about when it comes to Claude Giroux's career, I don't think the team was properly constructed to actually go out there and really win anything at the same time. And I think you're right by saying that, Broads. I think that there's definitely context needed when you say something like that, that Claude Drew has not been part of some of the great teams in franchise history and, and that that's why they were in and out of the playoffs for so many years. But I, I think that that's why people look at him, though, and they expect him to be the guy who takes over the shift or whatever, and he's he's not that guy. He wasn't that guy in the prime of his career, realistically. I mean, people really think – I think people thought that he was that guy from – the first 32 seconds of Game 6 against the Penguins in 2012. He knocks Sidney Crosby on his rear end on the first five seconds of the game and then goes and scores a goal, and everybody took that and thought, there it is, there's that takeover guy. And he's not really that guy, especially as he continues to age. I think they, that's what the Flyers have really been missing, is a guy who has the ability to take over a game the way that you see some of the top players in the league do. They don't have that superstar guy who really can get it done. They've got a lot of good players, and they've got guys who can put up some really solid numbers but but I think that that's what they're looking for, and I think they're hoping that you know, like like I look at the top six, and I think it's hard to pin that on somebody like Joel Farabee when he's 20 years old and is playing in his first playoffs. Maybe he can be that guy down the road, and that's probably what the Flyers are hoping with this in-house development. But it's it's too soon for that from guys like that, and the Flyers are looking for that maybe now, and and fans are definitely looking for that now. And I think that they pin a lot of that on Claude Giroux, and there's a lot of other guys who you could say you're expecting better from, like Sean Couturier, they like Travis Konechny, throw in guys like Jake Vortek, James Henry, like the guys who make the most money on the team, and the guys who put up usually the biggest numbers on the team and haven't been doing it in these playoffs, and you want somebody to be able to take it over, because even if it's not Giroux and another line is the one that's contributing, it, it helps erase all that. Winning is a cure-all, and especially in the playoffs when you keep the runs going, and they're one loss away from having this end and really not getting the contributions from anybody in the top six, and it centers on the captain. Uh, he's Kevin Durso. Kevin underscore Durso. Flyers tomorrow night, game five on 97.3 ESPN. They trail the series three games to one. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. Kevin, thank you, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. He does a great job on the Flyers tomorrow night. Hopefully it's not his last game to cover. We'll have it here for you on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. We'll do the five rewind coming up next. See how I did on Friday. Plus, coming up. Jeff Mosher on the 
Big story at Eagles camp. Two of them over the weekend. Jason Peters and Jalen Rager. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, we'll do the five rewind from uh, Friday's show, the five questions. We had Phillies, Flyers. I don't remember what you even asked me. Yeah, we went straight Flyers because we didn't know how the weather would hold up with the Phillies, so I didn't want to start asking you questions about that. So. Yeah, good weather for the Phillies. I know. Isn't that crazy? They had the one rain delay, which costed Zach Eflin a possible complete game, but other than that, they did all right. Yep. You did not do okay, though, to be honest with you. You uh, won one of the five questions. You yeah. went one for four. I said there would be a split. Yeah, split. You were wrong. You said I asked, what is the Flyer series when we return on Monday? You went 2-2. Two and two. I would have loved for it to be 2-2. Two and two. Three and one. I asked if Scott Lawton would come back into the lineup. You said no. He was tremendous with JVR, Scott Lawton, and Tyler Pitlick. Those Pitlick those, played well. That was your best line all, yeah. in, in both games all weekend. Your best line was Pitlick, JVR, a guy who's been in and out, who, by the way, I've been screaming should be back in the lineup, and Scott Lawton. It's pretty bad when that's your top line. So you were wrong there. Claude Giroux, how many points would he get? You said two points. <sighs> And uh, you got saved on this, though. This is the one you you actually got right. Total saves for Carter Hart over under 57 and a half. My guy played one game. There you go. You went the under. Bull. <laughs> 14 right. and 10 on the season for you. All right. Well, tonight we got five questions on the way. Philly's in action today as well. Plus, it's the trade deadline. John Heyman reporting Philly's sniffing around some bullpen arms. That's exciting. <laughs> bullpen arms are like offensive linemen. You don't get all that excited. Well, unless you're getting a left tackle or a closer. Well, you might need to pay them more money, no? Speaking of the left tackle, there's a guy on the Philadelphia Eagles who got hurt. His name's Andre Dillard. He played left tackle. They signed a guy named Jason Peters with the play right guard. So Dillard's hurt. Wouldn't you just move Peters back to tackle? Ah, but it's not that simple. 